This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay, and I'm joined with our CEO, Ramon, and we have a very special guest with us, Grace Lee, who is the founder and CEO of Birdie Gray, a digital native, social first bridal startup on a mission to change the way women shop for their weddings. Grace, we are really excited to have you on the podcast to talk with us a little bit about creating a better alternative to existing products. I know your product is really starting to crush it in the bridal space, especially on the direct-to-consumer channel, uh, which is really cool. So I'm excited to, to talk with you. I'm sure Ramon is as well. And so before we jump into all the fun things we're going to talk about, I'll go ahead and pass the mic over to you if you want to give a little bit of an intro about yourself and, and tell us a little bit more about Birdie Gray in your own words. Sure. Thank you so much, Jay and Ramon, for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. So I'm Grace. I'm the founder and CEO of Birdie Gray. We are direct-to-consumer bridesmaids dresses, and all of our dresses are $99. We launched about three years ago. I had been a bridesmaid six times, and I had realized that no one had really changed how you shop for bridesmaids dresses. And for anyone who's been a bridesmaid out there, you know that it's such an honor to be asked to be a bridesmaid, but the shopping experience is very painful. Prices are very expensive, lead times are long, and there really isn't that much flexibility for returns and exchanges. And so, you know, I just wanted to change that. And that's how Birdie Gray was born. Very cool. So one of the things that you kind of hit on, which I think is pretty interesting, is that you're very competitive in the price range. A lot of these bridesmaids dresses are way more expensive and, you know, you're priced at $99. So I'm really curious just to hear from you, like how you're able to win on price in your category. Is there something that you're doing differently that's kind of allowing you to create better unit economics that translates to a better price for the consumer? Um, I would love if you could add in there. Yeah. So just for some context, when I set out three years ago, the average price of a bridesmaid's dress was $165. And this is not like a designer bridesmaid's dress. This is kind of like a run-of-the-mill dress. And so since then, the price has come down. I think in 2019, the average cost was $140. And I think that Birdie Gray is really driving that price down because a lot of our competitors have also sort of matched our pricing. But you know, we're still 30% less than the average, which is great. And the reason we're able to do that is because we're direct consumer. So, you know, the bridal industry is, it's a very interesting space. You know, it's mostly set up for brick and mortar wholesale retail. And so, you know, for us, because we're not wholesale retail, because we don't have stores, we're able to pass those savings directly onto the customer. That's how we keep our margins healthy and our prices low. Very cool. You know, not only are you guys competitive on the price, but I think uh, one thing that's really interesting is your streamlined approach to your product line. Do you think that this was like a big part of that? I think you only have like, I don't want to say a limited amount of SKUs, but you might have less SKUs than um, some other bridal shops may carry. Yeah. So we've discovered that the shopping experience is 
very overwhelming sometimes for a bride. Most of the time, it's the first time she's getting married. She doesn't know what she wants, right? And if you give her too many choices, then she kind of gets overwhelmed. I think with Birdie Gray, we were very, our approach to how we assort is, I want to say, edited. So, you know, instead of offering 65 different colors, like many of our competitors do, we only have at any given time, 15 to 20 colors. And we're like, here's the best green that we believe in that will look great for your wedding. You know, it's kind of like, paint shopping sometimes for when you're picking your colors, you know, you don't want four different shades of gray. You just like want one shade of gray to choose from and it's the best one and you feel really good about it. So that's kind of how we approach our assortment. We believe that less is more. And I think as a result, a lot of brides will come to our site and they're like, oh, this is a perfect green. You know, I'm going to pick this color and I'll have my bridesmaids come back and choose whatever style that they want. And so, you know, we have 15 to 20 colors and in 20 core styles. And so we really try to make the shopping process as easy and seamless as possible. When we approach our designs, we really design with the customer in mind. So we realize that we want to offer something for everyone. So, you know, we have that convertible dress that makes it really easy to mix and match and people can choose sort of how they want to wear it. We have, you know, like a sleeved option for someone who wants to cover their arms. Maybe we have halter options for the girl who loves a halter. And so we address a lot of different sort of concerns when people are getting dressed and we have a couple options for each of them. And so, you know, people come to our site, they realize we only have 20 styles, but they're like, oh, I found the perfect one for me, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome. So I was actually, you know, you started diving in a little bit over there and I was going to ask, so what's your process like to curate those different colors? Because you were like, you know, we try and go for like the best green or like the best gray stuff like that. And obviously, you know, I'm not as knowledgeable about the bridal industry (laughs) as you are for sure. I'm sure Ramon probably feels the same way since we're usually on the other side of that. But yeah, Yeah. uh, I would, I would love to hear about your process there. Sure. So color is probably the number one most important thing. So a bride will choose to go with your company because she sees the color that she wants. And so if you understand sort of like the user journey, it's a bride gets engaged, she starts planning her wedding and the bridesmaids dress colors really bring out the colors that she's using in her wedding. For example, like people will go with, you know, like a cooler palette of blues and greens, or they'll choose like a pink and purple palette. And so, and bridesmaids dresses are truly one of the design elements that really bring out the vibe of vibe of her wedding. And so we've discovered that color palette is key. And so, you know, we try to offer, if you go to the site, we have every single color of the rainbow, but we will add to our color assortment when brides ask for it. Because if a bride's like, I love your brand, I love your dresses, but I don't see the color that I want, no matter what, she'll go elsewhere. And so anytime we hear, you know, customer feedback on colors that are missing in our assortment, we'll definitely consider adding them. So when we first started, we only had, I think, 10 colors. And now we're at 15 to 20, we're exiting a couple colors and we're adding some in, but it's a really interesting process. And, you know, I don't think I mentioned this, but like the customer feedback loop really does inform every single decision we make, especially when it comes to product development. Some of our best selling colors today are based on what customers have requested in the past. And what we'll do is we'll use Instagram polls to kind of pull what colors we should develop next. And so if our customers are asking for dusty blue, well, there's a lot of different iterations of dusty blue. We'll share the actual lab dips from our manufacturer and say, do you want this kind of blue or this kind of blue? Okay, within this kind of blue, there's, you know, a lighter flavor or a warmer flavor and people will vote. And that informs how we develop our colors and our products. 
It's really fun. And that feedback is instantaneous. And it's funny because usually like the results that we get in the first hour will be the same throughout the 24 hour pool. And so you do get some pretty, like a really great read on what the customer wants. I was going to ask on the process of how you get that customer feedback, but you already answered that. So um, I think it would be valuable for the listeners. What has the biggest lesson been in that process of getting that customer feedback? You know, we use Instagram polls to validate things that we're already thinking. And so for us, we're highly data-driven in our approach to a lot of things, but also product development. And so we'll start with like a perksy survey and we'll survey, you know, I don't know, a thousand people and we'll get sort of like an understanding of directionally where we should go. And then we'll go to Instagram to validate those results. And so there's a combination of things that are happening, but like really overall listening to your customer and giving her what she wants has been critical for our success. And I think a lot of brands today should do more of it. You know, when I first started, I didn't understand the value of customer feedback until I started getting it. And I was like, oh my God, this is the only way we should run our business because they're the ones who are keeping you alive. And if you're not giving them what they want, then they'll find it elsewhere. That's really interesting. And that's awesome. And so one last question I have over here on the color picking, when you started off, was that, um, I know you mentioned that the color was the most important thing for the dress. Was that something that you came about through a market insight or was it like your own personal market insight or was it like a feedback kind of loop that you had created and heard? Yeah, no, when I first started Birdie Gray, I had no idea. My background is in fashion and beauty, but I've never worked in the bridal industry. And so it was all just learning by trial and error. When I first launched, I launched with a very limited assortment of dresses and then customers would be like, do you offer swatches? Because I want to see the color before I commit to the dress. And we were like, we don't have swatches. And so for the first six months of Birdie Gray, like I was sitting there hand cutting like our dresses up to send little swatch fabric pieces to our customers. (laughs) And then I realized like how important color is to her. You know, she wants pink, but if it's not the right shade of pink, she'll go elsewhere. And so, you know, it was through those experiences we realized, you know, how the customer really behaves. Yeah, that's really cool. And I'm sure you're able to optimize that through like the purchases now as well and see what are like the highest performing colors and the lowest performing colors, which is really cool. Yeah, I want to dive in a little bit to your customer experience as well. You know, not only are you kind of winning on the product front in terms of the offer that you have to the customers, you guys also have some really cool experience things going on in terms of like your return process and like, you know, just that whole customer journey over there. So I'd love if you could walk us through some of the things that you're doing at Birdie Gray to to provide a better experience. And maybe if you have any suggestions for other brands or or listeners out there. Yeah, I mean, for us, because we are a digital native brand, you know, we really prioritize a fun, easy and seamless shopping experience. I think, you know, we've done a lot of user testing and people have come to our site and they're like, oh, this site is like shockingly easy to navigate compared to some of our other competitors out there who have like a large assortment with a huge, you know, color selections, right? And so they'll come to the site and I think a lot of feedback has been, it's really calming, like wedding planning is a very stressful time. I just want to make it really easy. And so that's something that I'm very proud of. And it's very intentional that our site is a little kind of streamlined. Also, you know, we want to bring sort of like that in-store shopping experience online. I think especially with COVID, 
you know, we realize it's so important. You know, it's not that people are not having their weddings anymore. They just can't go into the stores anymore. And so, you know, we rolled out a tool called the Bridal Studio where, you know, a bride can sign up, set some ground rules, pick some of her favorite dresses, invite her bridesmaids. And the whole shopping experience, that in-store shopping experience happens online. They can message each other. They can veto each other's dresses, you know, all of that fun stuff. We also have a really fun virtual try-on tool where you can either... Upload a photo of yourself and virtually try on the dress, or you can pick like a default stock image of a model and try on different dresses and create that sort of lineup. And so we try to make the shopping experience really fun and interactive, but super easy. On returns and exchanges, you know, we are an e-commerce brand. Um, It's like unacceptable not to accept returns or exchanges anymore. Whereas for a long time, everyone in the bridal space would be like final sale. Some stores would even make you sign a contract and say, I will not return this dress. And so, you know, I just thought it was just so anti how people behave. And so, you know, we make the process really easy. We partner with a company called Happy Returns to do our reverse logistics. And you can either drop it off at a kiosk or you can mail it back. And it's just really easy and simple. And I think customers really appreciate that. Especially with COVID, it's been like a whole nother level of appreciation to make that process really easy. Regardless of, I bet, I mean, COVID, we were talking offline how it's accelerated all these behaviors and to a point that it's now irreversible, you know? I think the question of like, is this going to change and go back how it was after COVID? I think that's out of the window. I mean, this has been like over a year now, about a year now. So I think that's an irreversible behavior. But I'm curious on what your answer is to the old school skeptics that tell you, no, Grace, you know, this is a, a family experience or like all the brides go together. And this is a thing that they'll take the whole day for. And then, you know, so what's your answer to kind of the skeptics that have that to say? Yeah, I think wedding planning is still very much a, a lot of people appreciate the traditional experience where you kind of get your bridal party together and you go dress shopping. I'd say that applies more to certain parts of the wedding planning process. So we know that with wedding dresses, it's such a big, important purchase. In fact, people choose their wedding dresses before the bridesmaid's dress, right? And so, you know, it is very much a high-touch in-store experience. But for bridesmaid's dresses, there's no reason that it has to be. And so, you know, oftentimes people will host try-on parties and they'll buy our dresses, invite their girls over, They'll try on the dresses that they want and they'll return or exchange the ones that they don't want. You can still have that in-person experience, but it doesn't have to necessarily happen in a boutique for learning. I think a lot of people are super comfortable not having that experience. But I think wedding dress shopping is a whole nother beast, which we can get into, um, where most people prefer that in-store experience. And have you guys raised capital or have you bootstrapped or which route have you gone or a hybrid or how has that worked so far? Yeah. So for the first year I was bootstrapping and then we raised our first round a year into operating. And then we did a priced seed round shortly after. And so we have um, definitely raised capital. Got it. And when did you launch? Sorry, I'm uh, taking it a bit off track. Uh, yeah. Just spiraled into a bunch of um, <laughs> questions. Here. Rapid fire questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we launched in October of 2017 on my birthday. And so I'll always remember like our brand anniversary. Um, so we just celebrated our third anniversary. Oh, I guess, it, is it already January? I guess we're like three years and change. Social media is a full-time job, but you don't have to do it alone. Ami is our favorite social media agency. 
From TikTok to tweet, you'll work with a team of professionals to level up your social media in 2021. Visit amisocial.com. That's A-M-I-E social.com. Very cool. Um, You know, I love that you mentioned the social aspect as well, kind of touching on that bridal studio thing. That's something that's so unique. I I don't think we've ever, we've brought on a lot of brands that have talked about like community and, you know, they're using and leveraging different platforms. Like maybe they've got a Facebook group or they're doing some cool stuff on Instagram to grow that, but I've never heard the actual like in-house like community platform, which I thought was really interesting. So Yeah, it's something that's pretty unique to bridal party dressing too, because it is very much like a group decision. We know that a bride is the primary decision maker. She decides which brand to go to and which colors to choose, but she definitely wants buy-in from her bridesmaids. And she also wants visibility and control, you know, over like what they end up choosing um, or what they're considering. And so it's definitely like this kind of social shopping tool is definitely, you know, well suited for our space. For sure. And I guess that's just, you know, a tip of the hat to your, your awesome effort in in creating that feedback loop and really understanding uh, what your customers want there. So I want to jump and switch the topic over. I know we've talked a lot about like the actual like dresses and your process there and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about your strategy for brand growth. I did some research before we jumped on the podcast and I found this really cool article from Glossy about (laughs) how you were able to generate like $2 million in revenue with Instagram ads. So I'm sure anyone that's listening is like they're their ears just pointed up a little bit more um, to, to listen <laughs> how you did that. So I'd love if you could like break down your growth strategy through Instagram over there. Yeah. So that was in our first year of operating. So we did 2 million in revenue in our first year, 2017 to 2018. And, you know, it's pretty crazy. Like um, we were spending about anywhere between 10 to 25 or $35 a day on Instagram ads. And, At the time, like it was just, I was like, we have a very limited budget. You know, I'm bootstrapping. I'm using my own money to feed these ads like they better work. And so I was like doing optimizations every single day on the back end. And my background is in social media and digital content. And so I wasn't a stranger to the back end, but I definitely like didn't know how to do it at the level that like a performance marketing agency would, right? And so it was just through trial and error. Yeah, and I'm sure it becomes more real using your own money. And that's that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I was like, oh, do I want to go 30 today or 35? Um, so, you know, we had creative um, and we had copy and I would just test and see what performed. But the great thing about Instagram is that or Facebook is that you can get really targeted. And so I knew that I only wanted to target brides. And so you can do like a life relationship status overlay. You can say, I only want to target people who are engaged to be married. I only want to target people who are within this age range, because I know that there's no point, you know, in targeting people who are older than let's say 40, because chances are they're already married. Right. And so it was just kind of just playing around with our audience targeting. And I think being really smart about it or, or playing around with the targeting enabled me to spend very little to drive a lot of revenue. Obviously, as you scale, that's not realistic and you have to really expand sort of like your strategies, but that's how we did it in the early days. And it definitely drove a lot of growth in our first year. So you did all of the, you, you were the one like, you know, turning off the ad sets, adding the new creative, writing the copy, everything. 
Yeah, in my past life, I was a copywriter and I also was a social media manager. And so I knew how to do it. And so I think, you know, on the on just like how to set up an ad, I was familiar with it. I wasn't great at it, but it's pretty intuitive. Facebook makes it really easy for anyone. It's like a self-service platform, right? But at the end of the day, I'm a creative, right? I love creative. I love visuals. I love copy. And so I think just being able to do all of that myself really helped. I didn't have to hire anyone in the early days. Our business is very different now and we work with a, a great agency, but at the time it was just kind of me playing around on the back end. <laughs> That's awesome. So actually a follow-up to that, which is uh, like, are you still using Instagram? Is that still like your primary growth channel? Are Instagram ads still as big for you as they were at the beginning? Yeah, it's still very, Instagram and Facebook are definitely important channels for us. You know, we've obviously expanded our mix to include Pinterest, which is great. You know, paid search is also great for us. We've definitely expanded our media mix, but at you know, in the early days, it was only Instagram. And I, I did that very intentionally. I was like, I have a limited budget. And I know that our target customer is very comfortable buying off her phone and buying off of Instagram ads. And so I'd say the advice I'd give anyone out there is like, really understand who your customer is and understand how you believe she shops, and then stay really targeted to that platform. As you grow, you have to expand, but like staying really targeted really helps in the early days. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, we talked about the Instagram ads a little bit. And I was just kind of thinking over here in the background, one thing that came up to me is, I'm sure your business is very different in terms of like customer acquisition and retention because, you know, for like a typical direct to consumer company, like let's say it's like a, a beverage brand or something like that. Someone buys and then, you know, you try and push them into that loop and they keep rebuying and rebuying. I'm sure bridesmaid stresses are totally different because, you know, you might buy the bridesmaid stresses once and like you might not ever become a return customer because like that might be like the last wedding you go to. So how do you deal with like manage that like customer acquisition cost and and retention to that sense because there might not be as much retention there well so a fun fact the average woman is a bridesmaid three times by the time she's 27 years old and then at some point she'll get married herself and so you know there's definitely opportunity for repeat purchase behavior if you show her a good time early on in her bridesmaiding journey she might come back for more the most interesting thing is so like the word of mouth is so huge and bridal. And I think I really underestimated that. And I think it's because most people, this is their first time planning a wedding and they really turn within their network for advice on vendors or like how to plan a wedding. And so, you know, word of mouth is really big. So even if a woman is done being a bridesmaid, you know, if someone asks her, oh, where did you, who did you use for your wedding? Or like, what do you have any advice on bridesmaids dress brands? People are like happy to shout it from the rooftops for the vendors that they really love when it comes to planning their weddings. Awesome. So what would you suggest to other brands that might be maybe, you know, they're not doing bridesmaids dresses, but they have another like direct to consumer product that might be something that isn't like purchased as often or retention might be a little bit harder and they need to lean into word of mouth marketing a little bit more. So what would you tell other brands there? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I would say definitely like invest in your sort of loyalty programs or, you know, programs that will that incentivize people to share. I think ours happens organically, but it's a big piece of our business. Um, we do a lot of like post-purchase surveying. So we understand how people found us. And oftentimes it's word of mouth in addition to ads. And so I would say, you know, in the absence of like, if you're not in the bridal space, definitely invest in your retention programs. Cool. So we talked about the bridal studio and, you know, you've got the word of mouth thing going on and 
Instagram has just been so huge for you. Are there any other cool like strategies that you're trying and testing out that you can share with us uh, that might be a little bit more unique than the typical things? Um, probably nothing that I can share or that I would feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think, give me a second. That's totally okay. fine. <laughs> we're always trying new things and we're always testing new things. And definitely, I think in 2020, um, you know, COVID definitely hit the bridal industry in a big way. I'm very proud of the way that we use that downtime in that we were kind of just testing and learning, testing into new categories, you know, trying to get as much learnings as we could so that we knew what levers to pull when demand returns. And so, you know, there's a lot of different things that we've been trying, um, some, some successful, some not. Awesome. So as we're kind of coming up to the end of this podcast, I got a last few couple of questions and then I'll let sure. Ramon jump in as well. If he's got anything to add, uh, one of them is like, you know, you've been in business now for three years. What are some of the lessons that you've kind of learned or maybe like mistakes that you made that you might want to pass on to other founders that they should be on the lookout for and that they can avoid? Yeah. So this is not a mistake, but this was the best decision I made. So a year into operating, in our first year of operating, it was me plus two part-time coordinators who weren't even full-time employees. We're like packing and shipping dresses from my living room floor. Like I was saying, we're hand cutting swatches, you know, and I'm so glad we had those experiences because I was able to bootstrap and be really scrappy. But I knew that I couldn't scale until I brought on a business partner. And so I brought on my co-founder who also happens to be my best friend. And it was the best decision I made because like, who knows if I decided to go on this journey alone, I still might be packing and shipping dresses for my living room floor. Not really, but you know, like she really opened up the business in a big way. And so I'd say, find someone with the opposite skill set of you, because not only is she my best friend, so there's that inherent trust, but she has a very different background from me. You know, I have an editorial background. I've done digital content and social media and copywriting, and I'm very much a brand person. She's like the opposite. She's a total operator. She worked at McKinsey and she like is Wharton and so like, or went to Wharton undergrad. And so she's definitely like the operator to my creative and together that combination works really well for us and we're friends. And so I would say bring on a co-founder with sort of like a complimentary skill set and someone who you trust. I don't regret not bringing her on sooner. I think, you know, in our first year, I was able to really develop the brand and really focus on validating <laughs> demand. And so by the time that I brought her on, it was fairly easy for us to fundraise. And it was, you know, we had a company. And so that's probably the best advice I would give. I mean, we've made so many mistakes, so many mistakes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's probably the best decision I've made. In terms of other things, I would be like, I think the second thing I would say, and this is like as a result of a mistake, is bring on experts on your team for the things that you don't know how to do, especially when they have major impact on your cash, right? And so like overbuying inventory, you can be in trouble and you can run yourself out of business. Underbuying inventory, you can be in trouble and buy like, you know, run yourself out of business because like an upset customer who doesn't trust you, you know, it's never a good thing. And so like if there are holes, definitely fill them with people who have experience. Awesome. That's great advice. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh we don't hear often about the co-founder piece. So I'm glad you dived into that as well. Yeah, it's huge. So one last question, or actually I'll, I'll t pass the mic over to Ramon. Do you have any last questions for Grace before I, I jump into the the end over here? 
I don't really have any questions, but more so to echo what Grace said. I mean, that's been my experience as well with uh, even my own co-founder and having complementary skills. I couldn't imagine me having to be the one to have all of those skills and dedicate the same amount of attention to to all of those areas. It's pretty much almost impossible as the business continues to scale. And if it is possible, yeah. not one area is going to get the attention it deserves. So, you know, so most of the times... A lot of these things happen. That's why I'm a big believer in, you know, why the team behind the business is the one to build that business, because a lot of these things happen serendipitously. You know, it's not like you went to a conference looking for that co-founder from, you know, with that background and, and you found her there. And even though, I mean, that could be the case for some people, but um, there's often magic and serendipity behind it because the businesses that do make it tend to have that perfect duo. So I don't really have any questions other than, you know, we want to know what's next for Birdie Gray and, and where do you go from here? You took it out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's still so much to be had in our space. And so we're really excited for 2021. I'd say 2020 was a really difficult year for anyone working in the bridal industry. And I'm proud to say that we've survived and that I fully anticipate us to thrive uh, when it's all over. It definitely was challenging, but it was also, there were so many things that we learned from 2020. And I think all of us on the team are just really energized and invigorated for 2021. Awesome. Well, Grace, Ramon took my question from me. So that was the last question that I had, Um, (laughs) but that's okay. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciated having you over here to share more about Birdie Gray and learn more. And so before we do leave, um, I want to give you the opportunity to share to the audience where they can learn a little bit more about your brand and maybe connect with you as well. Sure. So um, you can shop the collection at birdiegray.com. That's B-I-R-D-Y-G-R-E-Y.com. You can also find us on Instagram at birdiegray. We are very, very active on social. And so, you know, we always fancy ourselves to be a social first brand, but we'll give people on Instagram an exclusive like extra day, you know, first access to sales, or they'll get a first look at, you know, things that we're developing or things that are launching. And so definitely follow us on Instagram. We're also on Pinterest, Facebook, and TikTok and YouTube. Um, But yeah, check us out at birdiegray.com. Awesome. Grace, thank you so much again. Really appreciated having you on here. Yeah, it was was awesome. And I want to thank all the listeners that are tuning in. We appreciate you listening to the DTC pod. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to drop a quick rating and subscribe to the podcast. And we will see you next time. Cool. Thanks, guys.